official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Rough week, good week, in the middle, where are you at? All those things? Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, this, it, within the last 10 days here, I've attended two funerals for two young friends of mine. Um, I pastored both of them before I moved to Vermont to plant this church. And I pastored them through their teen years and through some of their young adult years. One of them died from a motorcycle accident. And the other one died of a heart attack last Sunday while worshiping in church. One was 33, and I think the other was uh, early 30s as well, 32, which is way too young. And I was asked to officiate one of them, so I drove to Buffalo, New York, to officiate. And I got to tell you, it's never easy when you're committing someone's body to the ground, especially when they're much younger than you are. It has a real sobering uh, experience to it. And I've had to do it several times. Um, but there was something that I noticed at both of these funerals. And I'm not sure why I hadn't noticed it before. Maybe it's because I was just more aware. Um, but, but what I noticed that kind of stuck out to me at this, these two events and celebrations of, of these young people's lives was the eagerness of everyone in attendance to honor the deceased by remembering who they were. And so I've seen this before at other funerals and burial services. I'm not sure why it stuck out to me the way that it did. Um, But it did. Every conversation, I I was reflecting on the conversations I had at both of these funerals, and every conversation uh, was a story of a shared experience or a story of something that they did with the deceased. And then every story, it was uncanny, every story ended with a statement around identity. I'll give you an example. There's this one story that I heard where uh, a friend of the deceased at one point in passing had mentioned that they had to sell this electric piano to to buy their kids Christmas presents because they didn't have a lot of money. And so the deceased, uh, his name was Adam as well, he went and found an electric piano on Craigslist and he didn't make a lot of money, but he went and bought it. And while she was at work, he called her husband and said, I got this piano, I want to set it up. So he set it up in her house. So when she got home from work, she saw the piano. And it was just a gift to her. And then the person said this, he was so generous. Right? So that every conversation was like that. There'd be a story, and then there would be a, a, a statement or a comment around identity. And on the drive home, I was reflecting on those conversations I had. And and the thought occurred to me that funerals are one of the few places where we as people feel comfortable talking about our identity. See, here's the thing that I've noticed in my life. We're really good at talking about what we do, but we're not great at talking about who we are. Right? Have you ever had a conversation with someone where the first questions when you meet somebody says, what do you do? And that one's easy to answer. But who you are is much harder to answer. 
and I think the reason for that is we live in a world where people don't really know who they are. Identity is something we all wrestle with. You know, we spend a considerable amount of time in our youth trying to figure out who we are. Right? And then we hit our young adult years, and what do we do? We take expensive vacations to try to find ourselves. And then we spend all kinds of resources on different hobbies and interests and clothing styles, all with the hopes of finding our true authentic selves, trying to answer the question, who am I? Where do I belong? Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, who am I? It's a difficult process. It's one that gets even more confusing when you have family and friends, coworkers, classmates that are all too eager to label us based on their perceptions of us, right? Whether they're accurate or inaccurate. And add to that all of the TV advertisements, social media platforms, other marketing tools that kind of tell us what's expected, uh, required of us to, to matter, to measure up, to have value. And then if that's not enough, we have our personal failures that try to define who we are, right? Like they're snapshots of our worst moments. Have you ever just been like, maybe you're driving in your car, or you're walking down the road, and you remember something stupid you said or did, <laughs> and you thought to yourself, why did, I, why did I do that? That was so stupid. And you don't even know where the thought came from. See, what's happened is you had like a bad moment, and it's trying to define who you are. A couple years ago, I had to get my driver's license renewed, and I wasn't having a photogenic day. Most of my days, are, for whatever reason, are just not photogenic days. But I showed up and got my driver's license picture, and it was not a good picture. And I took it home, and I showed it to my wife, and she busted out laughing to the point of tears coming down her face. And she took out her phone, and she took a picture of it. <laughs> and I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm going to use this picture to cheer me up whenever I need a good laugh. And so I've got this driver's license picture to show you. You can't see it so well. <laughs> now, whenever I see this picture, I have to remind myself that this is my identification, but this is not who I am. <laughs> I am more handsome than that guy, right? Say yes. Okay, you almost gave me an identity crisis this morning with that <laughs> little hesitation. So whenever my wife and I need a good laugh, we we, she either pulls it up on our phone or I pull up my driver's license picture, and we both laugh until we cry. Um, I actually told her I was showing this today, and she goes, no, don't show it tomorrow. I have nursery. <laughs> <laughs> and so last night, she knew she was going to miss this. She pulled out her phone, and she pulled it up, and sure enough, she started laughing, and tears were coming down her face. <laughs> but that is not a good moment, and it's my ID. It's my identification right? But sometimes we, we have snapshots of our lives that, that we use to define us that, that aren't really us. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about identity. And really, all of us, every single person has identity crisis. And the crisis of identity that we face has its origins in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. What we find in the book of Genesis is that God creates man, and what he does is he, he makes them image bearers. When God created humanity, 
He said, they're going to be image bearers. And so we had this identity. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is that identity gets somewhat fractured. What happens is, is we have the Garden of Eden, and God places Adam and Eve in the center of the garden, and he tells them, you can eat any tree, any fruit from any tree, except for this one in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam and Eve that if you eat that, that's the day you're going to die. And so the serpent comes along and convinces Eve that God is holding out on them, that God is not being truthful, that if they eat of that fruit, they're going to be like God. Now, it's interesting because they were already like God. They were his image bearers. And yet somehow the serpent convinced her that it's not enough. Who you are is not enough. And for the first time, she saw herself through the eyes of someone other than God. And so Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and it says this in, in the book of Genesis, that their eyes are opened and that they discover their own nakedness. And it's at that moment that insecurity was born. Why? Because for the first time, humanity saw itself through the eyes of someone other than God. And we've been hiding behind the bushes ever since, (laughs) struggling with who we are. And so our struggle goes way back to our beginnings. And here's why I'm talking about identity today, because we have baptism next week. And you're probably thinking, Adam, what does our identity have to do with baptism? Everything. Let me show you. Let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, what Galatians tells us is this, that through faith in Jesus, we become children of God. And by entering into the waters of baptism, we're proclaiming that no longer do we have to rely on labels that people put on us. No longer do we have to uh, rely on identifications to tell us who we are. We know who we are. We're united with Jesus. We're children of God. And so baptism reminds us of our true identity. It frees us from trying to figure out and find ourselves because we realize that we've already been found by Jesus. And that our fractured identity is being redeemed and restored. And through Jesus, we can finally see ourselves once again through the eyes of God. And so, baptism becomes what some have called a visible response to this invisible reality. See, on the one hand, uh, baptism is very visible and physical. So next week, next Sunday, what we're going to do is... You'll see it. You saw the picture of that pavilion there. So rain or shine, we're going to worship outside next week under that pavilion. And what we're going to do is after that service is there's a little cove, a little bay, just right, there's a pathway going right down to it. We're going to do the baptism. We're going to walk down there together. And uh, we'll say a prayer together on the shore. And then everyone who's getting baptized will kind of come with me into the water. We'll go up, you know, right, right to about here. And hopefully it's a warm day. 
Hopefully it's not what Jeff's experienced in uh, the fall when he got baptized. We, we do do that intentionally to be kind to people. <laughs> but we'll go out in the water, and, and when we dunk people under the water, I don't hold them too long, just long enough, and pull them up. It's, it, we're going immerse, to be immersed in the water and come out dripping wet and hopefully not shivering too much. But there's nothing really magical about that moment. It's a physical act in response. The water's physical. The, the beach is physical. You're going to get wet. You're going to come up. You'll be dripping wet. You'll catch your breath again. It, it's, very, it's very just a physical response. But on the other hand, it involves a spiritual and invisible reality. There's a spiritual dynamic that can't be seen. Because when you go under that water and you come back up, what you're doing is you're identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. Right? You go under the water, you're identifying with Christ in his death and his burial. And then when you rise up out of the water, you identify with Jesus in his resurrection. So it's symbolic of burying your old self in a water grave. And then taking on a new identity. Look at what Romans says. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, those are important words, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, here's what Romans tells us. You can't take on a new identity until you've buried the false identities that you've allowed to define who you are. Romans tells us that, that when we're baptized, it's like this water grave. It says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, that's what makes baptism such a formative experience in the life of a believer. Because it's a public declaration that the life you now live, you live in Christ. You've chosen to identify with him. You're no longer who you once were. Did you guys know that Jesus himself was baptized? Yeah, that's right. And he, it wasn't because he needed a new identity or a new life. He was baptized for a different reason. Matthew's gospel records it, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then John consented. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus one day came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And, and at first, John was really puzzled. He's really hesitant. He, he really didn't want to baptize Jesus. He said, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. But then Jesus tells John, no, this is the right thing to do. Why do you think that is? Why did Jesus ask to be baptized? Well, because Jesus wanted everyone to know what he thought about baptism, that it was a significant formative experience in the life of the believer, that it was a, there's a, it was a visible response, a physical visible response to an invisible reality. But what happens at Jesus' baptism is unique because that invisible reality all of a sudden becomes visible. Look at what happens here. It says, as soon as he came up out of the water, the heaven is opened. So this invisible reality becomes visible. Heaven is opened. The spirit descends like a dove, alighting on him. And we hear a voice from heaven. It says, this is my son, whom I love and am well pleased. What's happening here is God is publicly declaring Jesus' identity. It says, this is my son. Who I love and who I'm well pleased with. So if you haven't been baptized and you're following Jesus, here's why I believe you should be baptized. Because God wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to declare your identity. He wants to tell you when you come up with the waters of baptism, this is my daughter who I love, who I delight in, who I dwell he wants to say, this is my son who I'm pleased with. He wants to declare your identity. Man, we live in a world where, where everybody is searching for identity. All of us. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we belong. And, and baptism is, is an opportunity for us to say, yes, I'm identifying with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Can we look at one more passage of Scripture before we take communion? In Acts chapter 8, there, there's a man named Philip. And Philip was told by an angel to go to this desert road. Kind of a strange thing, right? But, but Philip is, is a man of God, and he's learned how to listen to the Spirit. And so he goes to this desert road, and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch, and this eunuch is riding a chariot, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. But he doesn't know what he's reading. He can't quite make sense of it. And so he has a conversation with Philip, and, and, and Philip says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading I, this thing from Isaiah. I'm not quite sure what it means. I can't make sense of it. And so Philip explains to him what he's reading. He says, oh, I know the book of Isaiah. I know this scroll, and I know the person who Isaiah's talking about here in this passage. It's Jesus. 
Isaiah was, of course, prophesying about the coming Messiah. And so Philip explains to him how God took on flesh and became a servant, even to the point of death on a cross, and how Jesus was resurrected three days later to defeat sin and death, and that Jesus offers resurrection life and new identity as joint heirs with Christ. Now, you have to understand the context here because this eunuch, being a eunuch, meant that part of his identity had been stripped away from him. He'd probably been castrated at a young age, and they did that to eunuchs for a specific reason. It was a violent, it was a brutal thing, but they did it so that the person would struggle with identity. They did it so that the eunuch's sole existence would be absorbed by the person they served. So this eunuch knew all too well to struggle with identity, how real it is. And when he heard the good news about Jesus, how Jesus came to offer salvation and new life and a new identity, he realized that this is what I've been searching for my whole life. And he says to Philip, they're, they're, they're going along the road and they see water and the eunuch says to Philip, look, water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? See, this was such good news to him. Because his whole life he'd struggled with identity. He belonged to someone else. He, 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 he had been castrated and he's just thinking, who am I? What, where do I belong? And then the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus comes in such a beautiful way. And he's so passionate. He's like, look, there's water. What can stop us? I got to identify with Jesus right now. I can't spend another day of my life trying to find an identity that will never be able to tell me who I really am. See, here's the thing that I notice about this passage in Acts chapter 8 around baptism. This Ethiopian eunuch wasn't searching for baptism. He was searching for identity. But baptism has everything to do with identity. And I can't help but wonder, you know, we, we do this outdoor baptism once a year. If we lived in the South, we might do it a few more times. <laughs> no baptismal tank here at the film house. But I can't help but wonder if there aren't people with the same urgency in their heart. Or maybe you're here today and you're just fatigued by trying to figure out who you are. Maybe you're just really weary of being weighed down by all the labels that people put on you. Maybe you're tired of your worst moments defining you. And this next Sunday, you have the opportunity to put those things in a water grave. To follow Jesus and say, yeah, I want to have my identity in Christ. I want to hear God say, this is my son. This is my daughter who I love, who I delight in, and who I dwell. And so next Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Not just because we're outside worshiping and at the beach and eating picnic food and having a good time, but because baptism is such a significant, formative experience in the life of the believer. It makes us one in Christ, right? 
So I want you to, if, you, if you're following Jesus and, and you haven't been baptized, prayerfully consider it. And if you're not following Jesus, prayerfully consider it. This could be your time. Say, yeah, I want to identify with Christ. I want to follow Jesus. I don't know what that looks like it means, but I, it, sounds, it sounds right. And when you're baptized, you're not joining our church. This is just between you and God. But if you're here and you say, yeah, you know what? I need to, I need to be, have my identity in who I am rooted in Jesus. Not all these other things that will never tell me who I am. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.